You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Roche, and I'm here with my co-host, Dylan Spilko. And we are joined today by um, our other deputy editor and beat reporter for football, Sam Ostry. Today, we're going to go over some of all the exciting things that have been going on with Maryland football. So kind of to kick us off, what did you both think of the win over Howard? Well, it was really fun to go. First of all, happy to be back on the podcast. A wonderful Wednesday afternoon for all of us in College Park. Maryland is now 2-0. They took down Howard, whopping 62-0. to Uh, It was a pretty long game. You know, we were there for quite a while, it seemed like, and there was just so many stoppages. But overall, it was a great game for Maryland and hard to complain with a a 62 to zero wins. It's hard to get much better than that, except if you you count their 79 to zero win back in 2019 in that season opener win. But overall, I mean, Maryland did its job and, and that's all it really had to do against Howard. Yeah, again, first, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. But I mean, it was expected, you know, we expected them. And I think every Maryland fan expected a blowout of that fashion. I think the interest for the people that stayed around, um, obviously we, we were there the whole game, but the, peop- the people that tuned in on TV and stayed around till the fourth quarter of interest was, will they catch that 79 number? Like they beat, when they beat Howard in 2019, 79-0, they didn't quite get there. But it was awesome to see a lot of guys who don't really get opportunities uh, most of the time, like backup quarterback Reese Udinsky and the whole whole other a um, bunch of other backups got an opportunity to play. And something Coach Loxley talked about was that they kept up that same intensity. They didn't, never took their foot off the bat- gas once. And it was an expected but resounding win nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. I think my favorite part of the Howard game was getting to see kind of the depth of talent that Maryland has beyond its traditional starters. And I thought, as Coach Loxley put it really perfectly after the game, it really is a look into what Maryland's future could be. And to see some of those young guys' talent was very exciting. Yeah. Well, and- go ahead, then. Oh, I was just going to just talk about Maryland's offense. And also I have to bring up my prediction from last week because Great. I was criticized for my skyrocketed score of Maryland scoring over 60 points. Guess what? They scored 62. I said it would be 65 to three. I was fairly close. I guess I was too generous giving Howard a field goal. I think they only managed two first downs during the game. Uh, as I said on the previous podcast, they're just not on the same level as Maryland. And if last game – on Saturday just didn't show you that then I'm not sure what will so that that's all I, I needed to mention about my previous prediction for my I, own I knew you would I knew you'd bring that up Dan. I don't think criticize is the right word I think yeah, me and Lauren, we didn't criticize you we were a little skeptical because 79 to 0 even a 62 point margin which is what you predicted and what it ended up being 62 to 0 is incredibly difficult to, to accomplish even against an elm a school that's not even on the same division one level as Maryland, obviously, that was proven in the game. So I think, I mean, the spread was 48. I thought it would be around that, maybe maybe around 50. Um, they obviously covered that spread with great ease. But so I don't think criticize is the right word. But another thing that they did is um, they were able to fine-tune a lot. You know, I, I talked about that last week. It's coming into this game was they can, like, it's an opportunity for them to work on things that they need to work on, like their offensive line play, um, just be, being precise with everything, like whether it's route running with discipline issues, which I think they cleaned up a little bit, but not entirely. But so I think it was an opportunity for them to just fine tune as they head into Big Ten play this week. So Maryland, the 62 point win, 
And now they're outscoring their opponents 92 to 24 to start the season. 2 0, perfect start. Can't get much better than that. Maryland's defense has only given up three points in the last 101 minutes, 101 minutes and 30 seconds of play. Can't forget about those 30 seconds. My question is, which has been more impressive? Has it been the offensive side of the ball that has scored 92 points over 120 minutes of total football play or the defense that has been absolutely locked down? They were great against West Virginia. They got the job done late, only gave up three points in that second half. And those are the only three points they've given up since. So I would lean more towards the offensive side of the ball as to what has side has performed better, but I'd love to hear everybody's take. I think the offense have certainly performed better, but when you evaluate the expectations coming into the season, what has been, a, been the bigger surprise? It's unquestionably the defense. I mean, the offense was going to be prolific. Everyone expected Toledo to take that next step. They knew the wide receiver room, the depth there. Um, running back was a little bit of question mark. Offensive line was a little bit of a question mark, but they had the talent to be a really prolific offense, which they've shown through two weeks. But it was the defense that was like, all right, we're going to score a lot of points. Will the defense be able to get stops, force turnovers, which they've done in the first two games, way more than they did all of last year. But so, yeah, it's the surprise from the surprise factor. It's certainly been defense and it's their secondary. It's Tarheeb still, it's Nick Cross, Jordan Mosley doesn't get a lot of love, but plays all the time. I mean, doesn't get a lot of love compared to those other guys, but he's in there all the time, making plays really consistent and a leader as a senior on that defense. Um, so I think it's the defense and even the defensive line that's been putting a ton of pressure. We saw it in West Virginia, which is more of an indicator because obviously Howard isn't, is an opponent that's even on Maryland's level. But we saw it against West Virginia, the defensive line's ability to get to the quarterback, which helps the secondary when you're putting so much pressure on that quarterback. So without a doubt, it's been the defense that has been the surprise. And I really believe the defense, well, I mean, they, they made the big plays, four turnovers in that West Virginia win. So the defense is what won that game. And they're a big reason why they're two and up. Yeah, I think the defense has been fantastic. And I agree. I think the expectations were there for the offense and they've been excelling and maybe even exceeding those expectations. But I think for the defense, you know, you talk about Howard might not necessarily be, you know, have the most prolific offense and, but they held them to, you know, they didn't convert a single third down. They had, I think 11 opportunities and weren't able to convert any of them. And if you go back to West Virginia, which does have a stronger offensive unit, I believe that they only allowed them to convert five of 14 or something like that. And so I think that just being able to make these stops on larger third down plays is huge for this Maryland defense, something that they maybe haven't done in a long time. And I think as they head into big 10 play, we'll be able to get like a better look at that. But I do think these young guys on the defense have really, these young recruits have really come in and done a great job at kind of showcasing what they can do already before even getting to that kind of level of competitive play. They talk about always like playing, not playing the opponent, but playing kind of just their level of football. And the defense has undoubtedly been doing that. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard for me to kind of choose between which one has been more impressive, but since both of you went with defense, I think I'll, I will now sway towards the offensive side. Contrarian on the pod. <laughs> yes, of course. So Talia Tagovailoa has been pitch perfect for Maryland. There's been no no errors for him whatsoever. I, I don't even think – I've seen a couple throws that maybe should have hit over these first two games. But otherwise, he has been absolutely perfect for Maryland. He now sits second in the Big Ten in passing yards per game. He's only one of two QBs, him and C.J. Stroud, uh, that average over 300 passing yards per game. And then you look at the receiving end for Maryland through two games. Dante Demas is all of a sudden becoming – 
not if he's one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. Now the conversation is, is he the best receiver in the Big Ten? He is first in the Big Ten in receiving yards per game. He's the only one that averages over 130. He averages almost 22 yards per catch and six receptions a game. He's a deep ball threat. He's a guy that can spread out the field. He's just about everywhere. And he is this team's true number one wide receiver. And he has been, I've, besides him and Tug of Iloa, the most impressive player on this team so far. And then you look at the, the second guy on the offense who's not really overshadowed by Demas, but who's just also there in such a, he could be a superstar. It's uh, Rakim Jarrett. I mean, it's hard to avoid his name when you talk about the Maryland offense. He's almost averaging 100 yards per game receiving-wise. He's seventh in the Big Ten in that regard with 94.5 a game, also six receptions a game. And he's obviously one of the fastest humans on this team. He is lightning quick, and that is clearly working to Maryland's advantage. But overall, I mean, this Maryland offense has just been stunning so far. 92 points through two games. I mean, that's so impressive to me. And I think that if you look back at last year to where this team is now, there's just, there's just a different vibe. There's just now an expectation of just this, this, this better competition that they need to show every single week. And now with the big 10 play starting, especially against Illinois, they need to show, this is the first real test, even though Illinois isn't the strongest of teams, this is their first real test to show that they can be consistent offensively. And it'll be really telling how they do um, against Illinois, especially if they're able to rack up the yards again. So I, I think the offense has been more impressive, but I mean, you guys mentioned the defense. They've also been stunning too. It's kind of hard to decipher between which side of the ball has been better through the first two games. Yeah. And yeah I, go ahead. Mom. No, I, I think I also think that this entire team has elevated its gameplay over the past off season. And I, with the shortened season as well, I think there's obviously there was room for development there also, but I mean, you look at a player like Dante Dimas, who has been a consistent, you know, great, constant player for Maryland. I think Locks even referred to him as like Mr. Consistent. And, you know, he's talked about how over the summer they had some conversations that really just took um, Dante Dimas Jr.'s play to the next level. So, you know, you look at him, you look at the defense, you look at the offensive line is a great example of this. I mean, all these players have put in the work over the summer to get to that next level. You look at, you know, Maryland the past few years has had some of these these first two games have been great. They've been high scoring. The offense has been doing the job. The defense has as well. And then they get to that third game and or third, fourth games and they're upset by teams that maybe, I mean, upset's a strong word, but they lose to teams who people expect them to win to, I guess. And I think if they can win, beat Illinois, it kind of shows that maybe this program is headed in a different direction of this consistent, constant level of play where everyone truly has elevated their gameplay, maybe not just their mindset, but also their gameplay. And they're able to deliver that when they get on the field. Even I think this week will be especially telling because they've had a shortened week. I mean, they play on Friday, they played on Saturday. And so to be able to have kind of this cut down week, they didn't have that day of rest that they normally have. So this game is definitely a task for them, especially because it's their first on the road. So even though it may appear to be, you know, not as tough as an opponent in Illinois, maybe some of these other big 10 teams, I do think that it's an opportunity for them to just kind of show that they can continue to play consistently, even with all those kind of uh, circumstances. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you talk about just the gameplay and the, the feel surrounding Maryland football. I mean, since 2016, all every, except other than last year, which was an anomaly because of COVID um, and they didn't play any non-conference opponents, every year um, going back to 2016, the team started 2-0 and 
and then they just completely fell off. They, they won two games against non-conference opponents, just 19, Howard was included, and then they finished with just losing or abysmal records. This year, it feel, it doesn't like they're 2-0 right now, but it doesn't feel like they're about to fall off. It feels like they're actually on the rise for the first time, and we'll get into Illinois later and what that matchup entails, but it feels like they can go into Big Ten play, get a win, looking down the road, Kent State's up, and they could start – 4-0 this season before they really dive into the Big Ten for the first time in, in years. So it doesn't – there is a whole new feel surrounding this program on, on the campus. You see it at the games. I mean, against Howard, it's not – it's a night game. Saturday night, it's not – you wouldn't expect that student section to be there the entire time and be – not the entire time, be completely filled past the first quarter into halftime. Once it started getting a lot of hand, people started to filter out. But, I mean, there's legitimate buzz that – this isn't just a 2-0 team that's about to collapse. This is a 2-0 team that's about to take it to the next level. Right. You just mentioned the student section. I'm pretty sure they were starting to clear out uh, right when halftime, yeah. uh, the second half kicked off, which is, you know, it's obviously a shame. Obviously, you want the fans there the whole time. But the score was a lot too little at halftime. Game is basically over. And I wouldn't really expect that for future home games. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's not a re- it wasn't a reflection on Maryland's play. It was more of a reflection on well, on their good play, I guess, it was more flexion on their opponent's play. Sure. Yeah, I think that the energy has definitely been there with the student section in the sense where it's maybe almost been a pleasant surprise for Loxley and the players. I mean, I think that they love this student section and this fan base, but recently, whenever they talk about it, they really seem to get very excited to, you know, thank the fans. And when they run out, they go immediately over to the student section where, you know, it is always filled at the beginning of the game, these past two games. So even if they do teeter off, like I do think going forward, that momentum is only going to get stronger in the student section. I think that they will stay for longer. There's some pretty big home games coming up here. So I think that as the opponents get more challenging, I, and as Maryland's gameplay continues, if it does continue to stay consistent, they'll be able to keep seeing that turnout that they've been really grateful for. And they've made that very clear how grateful they are for it. Right. And we've been talking about this kind of uptick in the, the Maryland program, kind of what the expectations are. And I think quietly a big reason as to why it just looks like this team is really coming together is because of the combination of what the offensive line has been able to do. And just the run game is quietly getting the job done as well. I think those are two, all this, I wasn't really, I wasn't buying in on Maryland's offensive line and running back core kind of carrying the load and do really doing a really good job. And I'm, I'm willing to admit that so far I'm dead wrong. I mean, Teon Fleet Davis has been a very serviceable running back one more than serviceable. He's done a very good job at that, at the top of the depth chart there. And against Howard, he scored his first touchdown 672 days. That's quite a long time. Uh, He scored a 17 yard rushing touchdown in the first quarter, his first touchdown since 2019 against Ohio state. He's averaging nearly a hundred rushing yards per game. And uh, he's had 26 attempts through two games. He's really just, you you know, he's doing his part. I think that's just really a big part of this Maryland team so far it seems that everyone is buying into their role and everything is everything is click so far through two games and you can't really ask for much more. But are, are, I mean, are you guys convinced that Fleet Davis is the guy for the rest of the season? Is there any chance that he will relinquish that starting running back job? I don't think so. I think that he, I meaning I don't think that he will lose that position position. I think in the off season, you know, he's had some, he's had some difficulties off the field before and that have limited his gameplay. And I think that he realizes he's very grateful for the opportunity that he has to continue playing. And 
um, to, you know, every time he goes on the field, I really do think he's the kind of player who has that mindset where he is going to give it his all. And it seems like if he continues to play at this level, I mean, he has some great players backing him up and, you know, Isaiah Jacobs and Penny Boone and all of that. And they'll continue to be great assets for Maryland. But I do think that if Lee Davis can keep up this work, I think his mindset is definitely there based on just off-season um, conversations for media availability. But I do think that he'll be able to maintain that spot. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, going into the season, it was a question mark, like you said, for good reason, because there was virtually no experience in the running back room. Um, Jake Funk obviously got all the carries um, last year, and he left for the NFL, now playing for the Rams. And so Taylor Davis came as a senior, but it was like he really hadn't had much experience in the running back room. He's clearly the number one guy, and he's done a great job. I mean, he's averaging 7.3 yards per carry, and that is a reflection of the offensive line. I think you're seeing in the passing game, too. Like, too, um, Talia has a ton, more time than you would ex- – not a ton of time, but more time than you would expect for him to get the ball out, and he obviously has receivers making quick plays. So I think when you talk about buying in, that's a reflection of the coaching staff. Everyone is doing their role, even when they might lack depth at a certain position. It's all coming together. And But I do agree that the, the offensive line has been especially good in the run game. That's helped um, Tayon Fleet Davis. And so he's the number one guy. I don't see him giving that up anytime soon, especially because he has um, Penny Boone and Isaiah Jacobs back, backing him up. But last week, Isaiah Jacobs had turf toe. So he was available to play, but they rested him. He should be good to go this week, according to from what uh, um, Coach Lockley said. But it's not we, we don't we don't know for sure if he'll be on the field. So Penny Boone got more carries last week. He he was solid, um, obviously against worse competition, but he was solid. So I mean, I think they have that backup run game. And when you talk about like last week, we did the balance between the passing and running game. Last week wasn't a very good reflection of that, just because again it was sixty-two to zero against Howard. This week will be more of a we'll be able to see more how they approach that. But if they can get that running game going and takes it takes so much pressure off of Talia, off of the receivers, and off the passing game, which is what defenses are obviously preparing for. But if you can have that running game going, it's I mean this offense, like we've said all year, the sky's the limit. Yeah, and you mentioned that. Uh that Isaiah set out against Howard with turf toe. I think obviously that was the right decision, especially with all the depth at running back that Maryland has, especially the younger guys. And so we'll get to them in a second, how they performed. But I just wanted to take another a quick look at Fleet Davis's stats, you know, averages 7.3 yards per rush. He's got 192 rushing yards that he gained 189 net yards. And he's got 12 more carries than the next best running back. That was Isaiah Jacobs in week one. So I think that we're going to see, I think, you know, a, a big mix of running backs moving forward. I think that it was it was good on Loxley to get some of the younger guys in against Howard. I think, obviously, when you're up by that much, it just benefits you to get guys more playing time. That's obviously the right decision. And Fleet had some, had some rest against Howard. He obviously would have gotten a lot more touches if the game was close. But, I mean, Fleet's doing his job, and Isaiah Jacobs is in the pecking order behind him. I'd expect them to somewhat split carries moving forward. Uh, if the first game was telling, I mean, Isaiah Jacobs had 14 carries. So they're obviously going to have some kind of committee in the backfield. And for now, that looks like the, the winning solution for how this backfield should be run. So and Real quick, the other thing about the running game is uh, Talia has 10 carries for 42 yards to and some of those are by design. They have run a few like RPOs where he's making the decision and he's taking the ball himself. And some of those were there was a breakdown in play and he just went for himself. But I remember, Dylan, you talked about before the year is something like 
we want to see him use his legs more. And I think he's done that. And that's part of decision-making, which he's been much, much improved at through two games so far this year. So if he's also a factor in the running game, again, that's only going to help. Yeah, we're doing a turnover count. And right now we're still at zero for Tagovailoa. So still very impressive last year. We've mentioned this stat a trillion times, seven picks in four games. That is not going away from last year, but I mean, this year he's clearly improved. So a couple of those uh, running backs that got some touches against Howard, got some of their first scores. We got freshman running back Colby McDonald. He got his first career touchdown. He put the Terps up 28-0. Sophomore Penny Boone got on the board too. He also had his first touchdown on a four-yard plunge into the end zone. And another freshman, Roman Hemby, gets that one-yard rush in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was a touchdown. So a lot of Maryland guys getting involved, a lot of the younger guys getting some touches. And it's really just good to see that because we, we've always, you know, started to hear about the depth that Maryland has, some of the talented younger guys, the recruiting, the three-star guys, the four-star guys they're bringing in. And now we're finally getting a chance to see what they bring to the table. And I think it's, it's hard to argue that they don't have any talented running backs when you get three guys getting their, their first touchdowns in this game. And then, uh, in the fourth quarter, Antoine Littleton, the second, also got his touches. So the ball was getting uh, moved around from the for running back touches against Howard, and rightfully so, and, and, and they really did their job. So a lot of touches for those young Maryland guys in there. Yeah, and I think on the note of just having some of those um, less familiar faces, I guess, to Maryland fans coming into the game, some players who haven't seen the field, like, I was very excited to see at the potential of seeing Reese Jinsky play. It was something that I had been looking forward to coming into the Howard game, assuming that, um, you know, coming in, assuming that Tilly would be taken out pretty early on. Uh, he came out, I think, for that first few, the first drive in the second half. And then Reese Jinsky came in and, you know, on his first drive, he, I think, had uh, went four for four, 68 yards and had a touchdown pass. And for me, that was so exciting to see because as seems to be the sentiment with the rest of the team, it's really exciting to see these guys who maybe don't take as many snaps or go in as often um, do so well. And I think, again, just showcase kind of the depth behind all of these starters whose faces have become really familiar, that talent that Loxley has Loxley and the rest of his coaching staff have really developed and built throughout his few years here. Yeah, I, I agree. I was going to mention Reese Sudinski too, because he, like, if he wasn't playing behind Talia, who's one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the Big Ten, maybe the country the next few weeks will tell us that. Um, he would be, he is capable of being a legitimate, legitimate starter at a major Division One program. I mean, he had a great career at VMI, which is where he transferred from. He uh, tore his ACL in the spring, had a... Um, expedited recovery so he's cleared to play now which is which is incredible but he not just because he played well against Howard but just in general because based on his career at BMI he could have transferred anywhere and been a legitimate starter but he's playing behind Leah obviously been great so he's the backup so it was great to see him get an opportunity and you said on that one drive he went four for four Lauren he finished the game five five 73 yards and touchdown and they started handing the ball off a lot uh later in the game but he he, did, he came in did what he had to do and it's a great opportunity for him so overall, Maryland offense clicking, 92 points, two games. Offensive line, receivers, running back, and quarterback getting the job done. The one position we haven't covered, the tight ends. Richigulous, as we have mentioned in the past, especially on Twitter. Lauren, I made you tweet that. And then, so he's got two touchdowns in two games. It's a new aspect of this Maryland offense, Chigos Nimikonkwo. He's from Georgia, and he's been a really 
you know, he's been a positive factor for Maryland. It's hard, it's hard to argue with that. He hasn't had that many receptions this season, but he has two touchdowns in two games. And I, considering that Maryland only had one catch from a tight end last season, um, I mean, is there is there more that you can expect out of Okonkwo, considering the, the massive target share that goes to uh, Jarrett and Demas? I mean, they're getting basically every single target that, that – uh, Till you can throw, but um, Okonkwo, two touchdowns, two games, both of them coming uh, just sh- like short of the end zone. They were both short plays. Is he going to be a factor in the red zone moving forward, or were those two, or were those flukes? I mean, it's it, right now. I don't think it's a fluke. I think moving forward, he's going to be an aspect of this Maryland team. I know Loxley said that he wanted to involve him more, you know, before the red zone, obviously to open up the field more, but I think primarily he's going to be just a factor in the red zone, considering the open play ability, open field ability of uh, Jared and Demas, but two touchdowns in two games. Is this a trend that we can expect to see moving forward? Absolutely. I think that he has a lot of talent and again, is a player who wasn't able to play last season for um, medical reasons and was really has spoken about time and time again, the perspective that that gave him on playing football at the collegiate level, playing at Maryland. He's also talented. So, you know, to have the combination of talent and um, drive that he has is really admirable. And I think he will continue to be an asset in the end zone. I mean, that's, that is the role of a tight end. That's the role of him. And he's really seems to be excited about that. And I think it's, he's just another one of these weapons on Maryland's offense. I think it's different than, you know, maybe um, Dante or Rakim or any of the other uh, wide receivers who they have, because he does play a different, he has a different role, but you know, he's even said like, he's going to continue to be a factor, whether that's catching ball, uh, catching touchdown passes or um, blocking. I think that he's talked about the other day, how he's really grown this season to embody loving Um, blocking, which is something he didn't love doing in the past necessarily. So kind of, he's really grown into this great all around tight end who I think is going to continue to be really solid for Maryland in many different aspects, maybe not just ones that show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, a hundred percent. Chig's been great. And it's a lot of it has come in the blocking game, especially um, with the running game. I think that's helped them, not just the offensive line. You have a lot of blocking comes from the tight end on those ends. And I think he's been great there, which doesn't get appreciated as much. It's not on the stat sheet. But then from a red zone perspective, I mean, he's not the biggest guy as a, for a tight end, but he's super athletic. So he's able to go up and make tough catches, uh, grab 50-50 balls, and that's what he does. And so I think you will expect, you should expect to see him have more red zone targets. And it just makes that – it just makes Maryland that much better of a red zone offense when they have those guys on the outside. They have to, uh, Talia as a run, as a run pass threat, and then they have this great tight end who's um, able to produce in the red zone. But I also think you're going to see him more get more involved, which he really hasn't been as they've marched down the field and in um, their offense. I think you're going to see him get involved more there because he is a great pass catcher, and and he's. I think we expected end of a great season. I think he's done everything Maryland's asked of him thus far, and he'll only get better from here. Cronco had three catches against West Virginia, total 20 yards and a touchdown went on to Howard one reception, two yards, his only catch being a touchdown. So he's got great, he's got great size, six, three, two fifty. basically a great, perfect size for a tight end, especially in a, in a high powered offense that Maryland has. So hopefully he's a bigger factor moving forward in the passing game, but it's a great sign that he's able to produce in the red zone. 
because, you know, it's never a bad thing to have too many options in the red zone. So Maryland's offense moving forward, looking pretty good. We expect them to kind of maintain that against Illinois. Let's see if they can keep up that kind of consistency. So now I guess that about does it for the Howard game. That was a lot on, uh, on the Howard game content, 62-0 to zero win, Maryland 2-0. and And now I guess we can look ahead towards week three. And Maryland's first Big Ten matchup since last year, moving out of non-conference. And we're going on the road to – well, not we, but, you know, Maryland is going on the road to Illinois, 9 p.m. game, very late. However – it's a Friday night game, so I'm sure it'll be a fun one. That one will be on FS1. And Maryland opens as favorites by just over a touchdown. How are we feeling about that line? Maryland favored by seven and a half points. What are we thinking? Is that an accurate line? Is that too little? I think I think it's an accurate line. Um, I think Maryland's by far the better team. Um, you're gonna see like you're gonna see Maryland's offense explode. I think it's Illinois given up like they gave up 45 last week or 42 last week to Virginia and then 37 week before to UT uh, SA. So, I mean, their defense is, has a ton of flaws. I think you're going to, against the great Maryland offense, I think you're going to see Maryland explode. And then I don't know if on the other end, Illinois is going to be able to keep up offensively. I mean, Illinois one win this season is the first week of the season against Nebraska, which is probably the, by far, actually, I would say the worst team in the big 10. So it's not too express. Uh, it's not too impressive. So, I mean, I think you're going to see Maryland's offense explode. And I don't know if Illinois' offense will be able to keep up. So, I think it's an accurate line. Um, Brandon Peters, Illinois' quarterback, he played the first – played like 13 snaps, I think it was, or a couple series. The first game against Nebraska, then got injured. He's apparently playing this week. So, we, well, I'm assuming he's, he's obviously healthy, but we don't know if he's 100% uh, what he'll look like. That's obviously a win. Without, Illinois was without him the last two games, which is why their offense wasn't what it's capable of. So, and so Illinois will be able to score the ball and move the ball on Maryland's defense. But Maryland has, like we've been talking about all, all day, Maryland has a very solid, improved defense. So I don't think Illinois' offense is going to be able to keep up with Maryland's. And I think you're going to see Maryland win by at least a touchdown, which is why I think the line reflects that and it's accurate. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the most amount of points Illinois has scored this season is 30, I believe, in two of its matchups. It's one and one of its losses. So, you know, to score, I think that, I'm going out on the limb a little bit. I think Maryland can hold them to less than 30. That defense has been doing really well and has the potential to, you know, kind of go out on the road and, you know, they'll be playing in front of fans in a big 10 stadium for the first time in a long time. And I think maybe that will kind of drive them even to, you know, uh, you know, perform even better because the atmosphere is going to be there for them. It's, it's an eight o'clock game in Illinois. So I think, Fans will hopefully show out to that and it should kind of add to the excitement of this game. But I do think that Maryland has the potential to hold them to less than 30 points. And I also think that Maryland's offense really has the chance to explode here. I mean, they've been pretty explosive these last couple of games, but this is the chance, like we said earlier, it really is kind of their first test of Big Ten play, even if it's not the strongest test. But, you know, I think if they can kind of keep playing at their level and not play the team, but rather just play the football that they're good at playing, they really have the opportunity here to kind of blow it out a little bit. And something to keep an eye out for. Well, first of all, I think that the seven and a half line, I think it's a little too uh, close to even than I think that I originally thought it was going to be. I thought it'd be more around like ten and a half. But I think the seven and a half line uh, just shows that it's not going to be getting on the road. But one thing to point out with this Illinois team is that 
they gave up a lot of points in the first half. That's something that they've struggled with so far this season. And right now they're one and two against Nebraska. Sam, you already mentioned that they are in near the basement of the quality of big 10 teams talent wise, but they still, they put up nine points against Illinois. It's a pretty good defensive first half for the fighting Illini, but then they gave up 20 points against UTSA. And then they gave up 21 points in the first half against UVA. And I was watching that first half of Virginia and Illinois and those, I believe Virginia scored on those first two possessions. And man, was that Illinois defense exploitable right off the bat. There were just throws across the middle, right down the field. Virginia was seeming, they looked like the best offense in college football for the first 10 minutes of the game. But then Illinois started to adjust. However, they did give, end up giving up another 21 points to the second half. But my point is that if Maryland comes out with a few kind of scripted drives, which a, a lot of teams do, obviously, they come out with what they want to throw in the first quarter, you know, on that first drive and then adjust to what, the deep, what they see on the defensive side. But if Maryland is able to take advantage of those first couple possessions, maybe they get a touchdown on the first two possessions, you know, maybe they get some points on the board. But those first few possessions are really going to determine how this game turns out, if it's going to be a blood, if it's going to be close, because I think if Maryland capitalizes right away and, you know, in a way sucks the life out of an Illinois team that isn't, I, I don't think on the level of Maryland is in, in the Big Ten, then I think we're going to see a blowout. You know, I think Maryland could, if they, if all goes well, if the offense is what we've seen the past two games, I think Maryland can win by three touchdowns. Uh, I think they could win by 21 if if the first half goes well. It might not be the first drive, but I think eventually uh, Talia and Danny Nose will figure it out, and they're, they're going to pick apart that Illinois defense. And you're going to see, like, everyone's like, when will this offense slow down? Like, number one, it's a great offense, so I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon. But its first real test as an offense won't be till week five, I don't think, against when they play Iowa Friday night in College Park. Um, Illinois is a really like they're a bad defense. I mean, Virginia is not some high powered offense, but they looked incredible against Illinois last week. And like I said, I don't think they can keep up offensively. So now that I really am thinking about it, you said it was going to be three score game zone. I think, I think you might be right. Only a, a, a touchdown, a little touchdown and half a point spread is a little puzzling to me because I think Maryland's the better team. And this is the worst team in the Big Ten that Maryland's going to play all year. If they can't win this game and kind of win it handily, I mean, it, it would be somewhat surprising and a little embarrassing. And I think the the hope that Maryland is that, that they have amongst the fan base, that this is a new era, this is a new team, they might, it might dwindle a little bit if they can't win this game and, and kind of win it easy. Yeah, I think it absolutely dwindles if they don't uh, beat Illinois. It just, that means they fall back into this pattern that they've been in, you know, when the, a couple of years ago when they lost to Temple after uh, winning a couple of big games, like, it's just, if they're able to beat Illinois, I think it just keeps this momentum going. I don't know if it necessarily changes anything for the fan base or for anyone watching, but I think it then just kind of reaffirms like, okay, like Maryland is on track to continue doing as well as it's doing. Cause I agree. I think it's first real big test will come against Iowa and that's a huge test. And, you know, we'll get there when we'll get to talking about that when we get there. But I think that ultimately, like if they can, if they fall to Illinois, it's kind of like, oh, they're kind of in the same holding pattern they've been in for the past few seasons. But I think if they beat them, it's kind of like, okay, like they're continuing on and they're, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing rather than getting upset early on when they shouldn't be and kind of throwing off the balance of everything. And I think it's odd that this game is kind of sandwiched in between the game with Kent state and then the Iowa game, 
it's, you know, it, you know, it's just kind of strange to look at, you know, that you had, you, you prepare for this big 10 road game, you know, finally conference play rolls around and then you got a home game against Kent state. And that's not saying anything bad about, about Kent state, but you know, if just from a Maryland football perspective, you kind of wanted an Illinois game to be the dress rehearsal for the bigger big 10 games that are coming up, but you kind of have this, uh, the stop holder in Kent state in the way. So Maryland, we, I mean, I think, I believe we all will project them to be four and zero after these next two weeks. And I think that raises the question, can Maryland get that immaculate fifth win to finally get some consideration for a bowl game. And right now, after those first two wins, I don't know how you could be leaning towards any other answer, but yes. Yeah, I think yes too. I mean, I said this, when we did our initial predictions and I said five and seven, I announced on the podcast later that week that I thought I could have been, I was being a little tough. I was, I think that, you know, after beating West Virginia, they most definitely win more than five games in my opinion. I think that, you know, I, they secured the win over Howard, like um, initially intended. I think that they beat Illinois and Kent state, like we talked about. And I still think that they beat Michigan state and Rutgers. And with the way that they've been playing, I think that there's a potential for an upset somewhere on the schedule. Do I know exactly where that comes in? I'm not totally sure, but I think that takes them to well over, you know, well over five wins, potentially well over six wins they could have. And I think that if they continue, like you were mentioning, it's definitely interesting that this Illinois game comes before Kent state and then Iowa, but if they really are continuing to play their level of football rather than playing up or down to the opponent that they're playing, then it shouldn't really matter. And if that's the case, they'll be able to do well. I think that, you know, playing Illinois and then going to Kent state and then or hosting Kent state and then having Iowa for that big night game. Like if they are going into that Iowa game for now, I'm not saying that they necessarily can beat Iowa. I mean, Iowa has been hot, but I think that, you know, the momentum is there to kind of show that they are a force to be reckoned with in the big 10. And I think they most, Definitely. I think they win more than five games. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree now. I think um, we all said that if they win that initial game against West Virginia, our predictions at five and seven were out the window and they would win more. And none of us predicted them to beat West Virginia, but they certainly did. And they sur- they've surpassed our expectations thus far as a, as a defense. Honestly, for me, that's been the most surprising things. I thought this offense was going to be prolific. But when you look at the rest of their schedule, I mean, I think we expect them to be 4-0, going into a very tough matchup against Iowa, right now top five team in the country. Um, we'll see what they are in two weeks. A Friday night game in College Park, that'll be an electric, electric game in College Park. Hopefully they are 4-0. We expect them to be, but we'll see. Um, but then when you when you evaluate the rest of the schedule, if they're 4-0 there, Michigan State, I think, is more than a winnable game. Rutgers, is, they've really turned their program around. They're off to a great start this year, but I think that can that can be a winnable game and then maybe the only other game i see that they can win is like an upset against minnesota um so i do th- so i think if they start the season four and oh they're going to get at least six wins and they will be bowl eligible and i expect them at this point right now after two weeks of the season to be in a bowl game at the end of the year but i do think it's possible they can go even go seven and five Yeah, I'd say I'm with that. I, you know, I said at the beginning of the season, I thought the West Virginia game was that complete X factor between getting a bowl game or not. And I think that still holds true right now. I mean, right now they're on track to get a bowl game and it's kind of hard to argue around that. But that just makes this game against Illinois much more important because if Maryland 
is unable to come away with a win on the road at Illinois, man, does that put a damper in their bowl hopes. So, I mean, this game, they really can't overlook this game because they need to win it. If they want to get a bowl game and they want to take a, a firm step in the right direction for this Maryland football program, this game against Illinois has to be a, a, a convincing win. It, it just has to be. I mean, there's no other way because if they, let's say if they squeak one out, let's, uh, I mean, a win is a win, but if they squeak one out, all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, this is one of the lower teams of the big 10 and maybe Maryland's in trouble when they go on the road and play uh, a Minnesota or a Michigan state and, and, and an improving Rutgers team. So, I mean, this Illinois game is going to be really telling of how Maryland does for the rest of the season. But right now, I mean, they're projected for a bowl game. There's, I think they right now six or seven wins. The goal seven would be, I, I think, the peak of what they can do. But right now it's, it's trending in that direction. So I think that we will end off this podcast with some score predictions for next week ahead of the Illinois game. And I guess I will start off. So I think Maryland, uh, I think the offense continues to do what it does. It's hard to predict otherwise, just from the way they've been trending, the way they've looked. I think Maryland scores 38 and then they hold Illinois to 14 points. I'll say 38 to 14 will be my final. I think it's a convincing win for Maryland and that will be their firm step in the right direction, as I just mentioned before. So 38 to 14 is where I'm going to roll with. So real quick, before I get my score prediction, I just want to bounce back on something you said, Dylan, to your point. Um, I don't think that this is going to be a lookover game at all because I think something that Loxley said is like we're playing to the, the standard is the standard and a lot of times that's like coaches talk it's a cliche whatever but I really think you see that you've seen that with this team you saw it last weekend's um Howard where they did not take their foot off the gas the entire game so I really think they mean it the only game that I could really see being a lookover game is if they win this 3-0 to get to 4-0 against Kent State next week at home looking ahead to that Iowa game which is going to be what everyone's circling on the calendar right now and the other thing about this matchup real quick is that it's a little bit of a homecoming. Loxley obviously coached. Um, he was an offensive coordinator at Illinois from 2005 to 2008. And the head coach of that team is Ron Zook, who is now the associate head coach for Maryland. So for both those two guys, a little bit of a homecoming. Loxley at the press conference on Tuesday, he was saying, um, like, this is where my family, besides other than Maryland, this is where my family calls home. So obviously there's that factor at play too, but they won't let that get in the way. I have it a little higher scoring than you, Dylan. Um, I think Maryland's offense is going to explode. I have them scoring 42 points. And I think with Brandon Peters back, you're going to back, you're going to see a better Illinois offense than we've seen the last two weeks. So my final score prediction is 42 to 24 Maryland. Yeah. Um, mine is a little bit of a combination of both of yours, Sam. I agree with you that Maryland's offense is going to explode. I think if, um, Virginia could do it against them. So can Maryland, they've been hot. So I think 42 as well, but I do think that even, you know, with Illinois having their quarterback, that Maryland's defense has been really, really solid and not allowing points. And I don't think that they're really going to let off now. So I think, I think that this will end in the same score that the Virginia game ended in, which is 42, 14. All right. So that'll do it for our score predictions. And I think that wraps up the Wednesday podcast for today for Testudo times. So thank you all for listening so much. We really appreciate it. And we will be back with you next Wednesday after the Maryland-Illinois matchup. So we'll, we'll get back to you next week with a new podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week.